Amen. Great to be with you guys. So good to be in God's house with you. I forgot to tell you the cafe was open, but there's still some coffee sitting on the ledge. They're not making any more drinks for you, but just want to make sure you guys stay awake today. Glad that you are here. God is so good. He's moving. God is doing stuff. These are crazy times that we're living in, times of change, times of confusion and chaos in our whole world. We have, even in the church, faced things together as a people that we've never faced before. We've dealt with things we've never dealt with before. And these events that have been taking place globally and then nationally. So with this pandemic that went across our country and around the world, there's this craziness that's happened that you know of that affected everyone. I want you to know it's not the first time that a disease has covered the globe. It's just the first time we've had social media and media coverage and communication throughout the globe to talk about it. So what has gripped us is this fear. This fear has penetrated the whole world. As the world began to communicate to one another about what was happening and to try and at least attempt to work together to try and help fix the problem. All right? Nobody can. I already know that. That's okay. But I'm saying is what's happened then is there's this, this global panic that struck people, humanity as a whole, and fear grabbed a hold of people. Now, it, it also affected Christian people in this fear aspect. And so we need to understand some things as a church and as the followers of Christ that we don't have to give in to fear and we don't have to give in to the global climate of anything. Jesus Christ is our hope. He has given us life. We know that we have a promise that goes beyond this life. Therefore, as the church, we're supposed to be radiating this light of Jesus Christ and this hope in the world that is not based upon fear. All right? This is God's word. So following up this pandemic, you know all this stuff. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. We have this craziness that took place as there was an unfortunate death that, you know, we don't know all the details of all that stuff. All we know is that there's a terrible tragedy that took place. There were peaceful protests that began and then craziness ensued afterwards. In the midst of all this craziness that has ensued afterwards, we see this climate of upheaval and chaos people that are living in what is happening in fear and confusion. The world is in confusion. The nation is in confusion. There's conflict on every side. There are people that are causing division all around. And church, I just want to tell you that as a church, we need to embrace Christ more than ever and be the voice of peace and hope that the world needs. The world is looking for an answer, and we have it. It's Jesus Christ. But we in the church have been distracted and confused in the process, and have kind of, we've, our voice has been put out there like never before in my lifetime as a church. We've been talked about. But the Christian community themselves, we need to step into the arena of Christ, not the arena of confusion. So there's been this promotion of this craziness. And in the midst of all of these things, church, you know this as we step into it with these events, the voice of internet prophets and church prophets. This is what they would call themselves. I'm not saying they are or aren't. I want you to hear what I'm saying. The voice of internet prophets and church prophets became louder as they spoke about messages saying the signs of the times, the return of Christ, and they flood social media and church conversations alike. With everything that's going on, 
The internet and church prophets are speaking and saying all these things are showing us where we are and what's going on. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I preached a message and shared a scripture from you in the book of Deuteronomy about what God says about prophets. Now, before I read that scripture, just a section of it again, we want to look at that verse and revisit it today. But I want to just, I see all this today, I see in love as God's word. You know me if you've been part of this church for any time at all. And if you're joining us online and you're new here, I'm not one that speaks on prophecy hardly ever. Because Jesus is the one that's calling us to live this life and focus on him, and that's where I focus. But in the last few weeks, I've been speaking on prophecy, and I'm uncomfortable with it personally. I don't like to preach on it. For one thing, I don't want to cause confusion, and I don't want to bring misinterpretation to what God says. But when the Spirit of God is stirring my heart, and he won't let me go on it, I've got to preach the word that he wants me to preach to you, and so here we are. So church, I want to say something in love to you. I read the scripture to us, and to me, it brings great um, fear of God, awe, and concern when I read what God says to us. And I read this verse from God's word, as I said, I think it was two Sundays ago. You, you can look it up. I'm not good with my math, as I said a couple weeks ago, you understand that. But it happened, I read it to you, so just look for it, all right? Deuteronomy chapter 18, you remember the children of Israel were going to hear from God themselves. He was going to literally speak to them like I'm talking to you. And when they saw the lightning and the thunder and the beginning sound of God's voice, they freaked out and said, we don't want to hear God talk to us. Moses, you go talk to him. Come and tell us what he says. And so that's what happened. And God said, fine and dandy. You know what I'll do? I will speak to you, you talk to them, and I will raise up prophets. So the office of a prophet was born in Moses and continued from that day forward as the voice from God speaking to the people. Now, in that context, Moses comes to the people, and I want you to hear it from God's word. This is what God says. I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell the people everything I command him. I will personally deal with anyone who will not listen to the messages the prophet proclaims on my behalf. But any prophet who falsely claims to speak in my name or who speaks in the name of another God must die. This is God talking. Church, he's pretty serious about people proclaiming God's word. This is, again, why I'm very uh, discerning and praying and serious about speaking anything about prophecy or anything saying in that direction. God's like, if it's not 100% accurate, they need to kill him. All right? He's not done here. But you may wonder, how will I know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? If the prophet, prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not come, happen or come true, you will know the Lord did not give the message. See, God's good to his word. God is 100% accurate in what he says that he will do. And he is serious about it. That prophet has spoken without my authority and need not be feared. So God demands 100% accuracy or death False prophets are not to be feared. You shouldn't listen to those things. Okay. I read that verse a couple weeks ago. And in that service, I know I said this because I wanted to make sure everybody heard me. Like, look, man, what's happened since this pandemic started? And it was going on before, but a, it's been given a front line. 
because everybody's freaking out thinking this is the end. So across the internet and social media, Christian people are sending forth what is proclaimed as a prophetic message. Y'all got those, right? Okay. So here's the thing. I told you then, I don't look at YouTube. I don't look to YouTube prophets. I'm not saying there's not some on there. I'm not saying that. You need to hear what I'm saying. Looking at God's word. What I said to you was, I looked at a few of those, and some of those that were claiming to be prophetic words of God about what the events were happening were in disagreement. They couldn't align. If you listen to the messages that were going out there, it was saying things from this direction and this direction, both saying like, look, this is what's happening and we need to look to God because it's the end times and this is a fulfillment of prophecy. And the messages conflicted. God's word does not conflict. It affirms truth. Therefore, when I look at that, I'm saying like right now, I already know that this is not a true message from God and we better wake up in the church before we push send or forward. Because, church, this is God's word. He demands 100% accuracy on prophetic words. Therefore, as we share them on social media or forward them, are we not guilty of putting forth a false message if God's not in it? The answer to that is yes. The very day that I shared these words, people in this congregation were sending things on social media. I'm not fleecing you. Don't worry. I don't even, I'm not on Facebook or nothing. I know it to be true because I was asked questions about what people had received and someone contacted me saying, I got this today, the very day. Okay? So, please understand that God is good to his word and he's serious about it. Please hear me. We, as the church, need to understand what God says to us, what God is speaking to us, and what is the purpose of you and I in our life and what we are doing in this here time. Because you understand that God is not confused about any of this. We sang that song earlier, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned it for good, right? So in the heart of what the confusion and chaos in the world, we already know who's causing that, the enemy, the devil, Demons, spiritual darkness, all that is all about destruction, confusion, chaos. That's what he's all about. He hates God's creation. He hates God. He hates you. He hates me. He hates humanity. Therefore, his desire is destruction and chaos. So we know that he's behind all things that are evil and bad. But God uses things and turns it about for his good and glory. Therefore, God is using this time we are currently living in not causing the chaos, not causing the problems, using the chaos and the problems to bring about his glory and the fulfillment of his word. God's good to his word, church. Therefore, God is at work and none of this is confusing him and he's not worried about what's going to happen. God is working. So, when we reflect upon his words saying he demands 100% accuracy and the fact that everyone is speaking about the end times and how this is it, and these are the signs, and all that stuff. Remember, the last two weeks, 
to read this again. The last two weeks we read in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost where Peter was preaching God's word, calling people to repent and follow Jesus, said that the prophet Joel had prophesied from God that God said he would pour out his spirit on all flesh in the last days and the end times, right? And that happened at Pentecost. So we know as a church, God's word says the end time started on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago. We all know that, right? I mean, we read God's word and it says that plain and flat out. God prophesied that through Joel. Peter said, this is what's happening today. Therefore, Peter announced via the Holy Spirit anointing that the last day started at Pentecost. No argument there. You can argue if you want to. You can debate it with me. I don't care. I just look at the word. God's word says so. Therefore, it is. Now, as we consider that then, let's also consider the fact that many people are trying to introduce the end times as something new and trying to introduce the certain circumstances of our world in this climate today as, and in my lifetime here, the recent things and just before my lifetime, recent events that initiated the very end of the end. So, Again, I want you to know that we need to turn to the Word of God and see exactly what is taught about what it means to be in the end times. Who better to turn to than Jesus himself? And Jesus himself talked about the end times. You do know that, right? We've heard so much stuff. I know you've heard some of these quotes that are taken from Matthew 24 because people are using these things to put them into certain scenarios all the time. So Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're asking him questions and they're talking about the end times. So as they asked him for insight, Jesus gave it. Matthew 24, we're going to read from God's word what Jesus said about the end times, church. This is going to put us all at rest, all at peace and in a moment of challenge and trusting him. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. Before I read verse 2, if you just get that scenario in your head for a minute, it's pretty funny, actually. They're walking with Jesus, who is God in the flesh, talking about, hey, check out the temple, man. Look at that. Check that building out. Is that awesome? Look at that one. Look at the way this is set up. They're showing Jesus the house of God. Pretty ironic. But anyway, let's see what he says. So as they're, they're like celebrating and looking at the buildings, this is Jesus' response. Talk about a downer at the party, but he responded, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Like, you know how you're like feeling good and celebrating, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, dude, that's like crazy. Someone just crashed the party. Look at how beautiful this temple is. I'm just telling you something right now. It's gone. It's going to be disappeared. It's not going to be one stone on another. Jesus is speaking a prophetic message to the disciples right there. We know this because we look in history. And if you look, in 70 AD, the Romans came in and completely destroyed not only Jerusalem, but the temple. But prior to that happening, let's look at history. There's a reason we're going to pause and look at history for a second. And any of you that are historians, you know this to be true. And if you don't, you can always Google it. Check the accuracy of it, though. All right? But anyway, let's talk about this. Because the accounts of what took place in this time frame are recorded by a historian that is recognized globally and nationally. And his name is Josephus. He was a Jew who found favor with Rome. 
and he recorded the history of that time. He is recognized as a legitimate historian, not writing scripture, but history. But in that history, it affirms scripture. God is good to his word. So here you go. Judah, as a nation, rose up in rebellion against Rome in, uh, I think it was around 66 AD. Um, It was there. So they have a history of revolting against political leadership, right? So they revolt against him. And so in 66 AD, Nero comes and begins to lay siege to Judah. He is the leader of Rome. As they lay siege to Judah by 68 AD, pretty much the whole nation has collapsed except for the the capital city of Jerusalem where the temple is. Now, as they're coming against Jerusalem, there's some predated history that was going on behind the scenes. Back in 64 AD, if you know your history, the great fire of Rome took place. The, The city of Rome burned for nine days. It was a massive destruction. And there was a huge outcry of the people blaming Nero for the fire. And Nero, who was like opposed to the Christian church, blamed the Christian community for the fire of Rome. And he elevated throughout the empire the persecution against the church. I'm talking about the Christian church followers of Jesus. He didn't like them. And he made it elevated to persecute the Christians publicly and arrest them and destroy them. Okay, so now what happens then in in around 68 AD, remember the war's going on and they're over there laying siege to Judah. Back home in Rome, there is a famine of grain. The people are unrest because they don't like Nero and they believe that he's the cause because of his taxing and different things that he had put upon the grain issues of that day. Therefore, the people beginning to rise up a voice against Nero and the political leadership. The Senate of Rome takes ownership of this idea. And in, on June the 9th, uh, 68 AD, he is proclaimed a public enemy. So the Senate says that the Caesar of their day, their king, their leader, is a public enemy and is to be arrested. So Nero's over playing games in in Greece, and he's doing the Olympics, and he's showing off who he is and all of this stuff that's going on, and they lay siege to him. The armies are coming to get him, and Nero commits suicide. He committed suicide in 68 AD. Now, why are we even talking about this? It's important if you listen to history to know what God's saying and what God said prior to this moment. When Nero dies, his son Titus leads Rome in their physical battle in Jerusalem into the temple. So what about all this? And why is this going on? Because what happened was, as Titus led the armies in, and they broke through the walls of Jerusalem in 70 AD, and they began to come against the temple, a great destruction took place. Now the people that were there believed you know in God and they had rejected Jesus but they were still trying to protect the temple it was the house of God and meant everything to them the people of Jerusalem if you read Josephus account says that they stopped fighting the battle to save the city and everyone was just running to try and save the temple they were being slaughtered in massive destruction it was horrible 
And the Roman soldiers were climbing over piles of bodies that they were slaying, priests, servants, and people of the city of Jerusalem. And as they did, they were throwing fire into the temple to destroy it. There was a massive destruction of the entire city, of the people, the humanity. It was horrible, and the temple was utterly destroyed, and not one stone was left upon another. See, the reason we would look at that for just the opening moments is because God is good to his word, and what he says will come to pass. Jesus said, this is going to happen. I want you to know this is going to happen. So Jesus is sharing this prophetic message in around 33 AD. Only a few years later, the absolute word of God will be fulfilled in that very city to those very buildings that they were now looking at and seeing. A great persecution broke out against the church, the followers of Jesus Christ, as Jesus said it would. They will come against you and they will destroy you because you follow me. We know as we read through the book of Acts, as we see the persecution beginning to unfold, right shortly after the day of Pentecost, the persecution of the church begins. And you'll see its evidence through the book of Acts. You'll find it in the epistles. You'll find Peter writing to the church that said dispersed because of the persecution that broke out against the church, the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, Let's listen to what Jesus says about this now. He's telling them some things about the end times. And this is where, if you already know this, the apostles were always wanting to know what's coming in the future. So check it out. Let's listen to what he says. Verse number three. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? So they're, they're packing a full question here, like all of us want to know and everybody out there. When are you coming back and when's the end of the world? Right? Okay. Now Jesus just got done telling them that this is what's going to take place. We already know that happened in 70 AD. We also already know that God proclaimed the end time started the day of Pentecost. I want you to know that there, as you read the Gospels, church, you know this. Even in the book of Acts, when Jesus is about to ascend, the disciples are constantly asking him about the future. When is everything going to happen? What can we do? Are we going to sit on your right hand? Who's going to be the greatest? Looking forward to that day when it's all happening. There seems to be a continual theme in Christ followers about wanting to know the future. Constantly being distracted from what Jesus is trying to tell them by their own questions of wanting to know something that he was trying to talk to them about. Church, check this out. Reading in verse 4, remember Jesus says, these guys are just asking the question, tell us when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Those are some key questions. Now Jesus is going to answer it. You ready? Jesus tells them, don't let anyone mislead you. Wake up. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Church, this is Jesus talking to his followers. Don't panic. Don't let fears and anxieties and worries grab you by the events that are taking place in the world around you. Don't panic. 
And you will hear of wars and threats and wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Huh. Thank God we wouldn't be here if it did. That was 70 AD when some of that stuff took place. Right? So he's saying it's not going to happen immediately. Now he goes on. He's not done. Nation will go to war against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. That's verse 7. How many of you had had people quote verse 7 to you in your lifetime? (laughs) Wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes. The headlines, they'll grab it and they'll throw it on the internet. Look, man, they had an earthquake over here. We have no record of that ever happening. There's famines happening in Africa. It's happening in Egypt and different various parts of the world. There's wars going on over there. We've had two world wars. It's the end. What did Jesus say? See, what's happened here as we look at these things, modern interpreters of prophecy... They claim every earthquake and everything going on and the world wars as signs of the end. But we fail to follow up what what Jesus is saying. What did Jesus say about all that? Do you know what he followed that, that verse right there? Do you know what he followed it up with? Listen. But all this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. All you ladies that have had babies, you remember the little twinge in there? There was false labor. You had a couple of twins. You thought it's coming. It's happening. Nope, not yet. Not yet. No, all of a sudden, it, and when it starts, it continues for a season, sometimes a long season. Oh, you girls know that. This is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Listen, all these things that are happening, Jesus said, that's just the beginning. Those that are claiming to be Messiah, followers of Him, those people that are going in these things, the wars that are happening, the nations against nations, the pestilence, the problems, the plagues, the earthquakes. He said, that's just the start, not the end. Just the start, not the end. This is Jesus talking. The start, not the end. Now, as we look in history, which we have this incredible ability to do as the church, we look back and we see, guess what? These things have been happening since the day Jesus said they would. Okay? So since that moment in 70 AD when Jerusalem fell, the day of Pentecost started it, which would have been around uh, 33 AD, these signs and evidences of the end times started and have continued through today. Nothing new. You already know this. You were listening to the news when they were talking about the coronavirus and they talked about the Spanish flu that went through in what, 1917 that swept the globe? Right? It's not the first time. Okay. So all these things have happened and are happening. So, Jesus, remember as we read this now, he said, that's the beginnings. Then he goes on in verse number nine. Listen, then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You'll be hated all over the world because you are my followers. This happened, this happened only a short while after Pentecost. We know in church history, the only one of the apostles not to be killed for their faith was the apostle John. 
And the Apostle John was exiled on the, on the Isle of Patmos because of his testimony in Jesus. He did die of old age, being isolated because of his faith, and he wrote the book of Revelation in those days. So, the fulfillment of Jesus' words right here happened in their lifetime. And it happened, as we know, in history, how Nero initiated and encouraged and created a persecution against the followers of Jesus Christ that followed them throughout the Roman Empire and the world and continues today. There is persecution in many countries today against believers in Jesus Christ and it is coming in this country if we do not repent. This is Jesus. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many Dear God, help us. You know, in the church of Jesus Christ today, there's separation, there's conflict, there's fear, there's confusion. And God says in His Word, He's not the author of confusion, that He's not given us a spirit of fear. And yet, we as His people, the church, universal, is as crazy and chaotic as the world and we're supposed to be the hope of the world. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Church, Jesus is telling us that we're going to go through hard stuff. We're not going to be loved because we love Jesus. We're not going to be okay or agreed with in the culture and the world we live in. We're going to be opposed because we follow Him. Do you see those words of Jesus? The one who endures to the end will be saved. Endures. Pushes through it. Stays true. Focuses on what he's supposed to be doing and follows Jesus securely. Okay? Now listen. Please hear me. See, I've always hoped for a rapture. (laughs) <laughs> I still want one I'm like you know before all this craziness starts get me out of here I'm all for it blast the trumpet and remove me right I've been all for that all along as soon as I heard that ending I'm like I'm in take me Jesus you know I don't have to die I don't have to face any of the struggles or nothing alright so I'm not saying there's not a type of rapture don't misunderstand what I'm saying but I don't think the rapture that I was taught is biblically accurate. Because what Jesus just told us is the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who goes through this division, this loss of focus on Jesus, where there's hatred. There's those that come against the believers. See, what I see is Jesus is saying, you've got to stay true through everything. Right? I'm not trying to read into it. I'm reading what God's word says. I'm listening to what Jesus is teaching. And I know this to be true, that these words were accurate and true in the very lives of the disciples back there in 33 AD. 
I know these words are true through the history of the church recorded in God's word in Acts and through the epistles. I know these words are true throughout church history as we examine the world and what has taken place. I know they're true today, church. There is an unrest in the world. There were many voices claiming that the evangelical church was the reason why the coronavirus was spreading. That word was out there. There are people who hate us because we follow Jesus. It's all right. So this isn't all bad news. So don't get nervous or scared or, you know, think it's all over. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it. And then the end will come. So Jesus said something like really important to us. See, the message of the kingdom is what it's all about. Don't ever forget that. The message of the kingdom is what it's all about. And it's the message that we're supposed to be spreading around. The message of the kingdom, not the end, is the message that we're supposed to be about. Right? Okay. You don't have to agree with me. I'm just looking at what Jesus said. So you can talk to him about it. So what happens after verse 14, I didn't mean that arrogant. I'm saying like, let's look at what Jesus says, please. I I didn't mean that in that way. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff that happens because after verse 14, if you want to read Matthew 24 later, one of the most important things I want to tell you about reading God's word is take it in context, not individualize it, and don't take parts out. Like all of us heard verse 7, and people have used that to say it's the end, but Jesus said it's not the end, it's only the beginning. So all we had to do is listen to him. So take God's word in context and listen to what he says. So after verse 14, Jesus talks to the disciples and he blows up some images about what's coming in the destruction of Jerusalem, the persecution of the church, and the things that they were going to see in their lives. Just read it. It's all pretty plain and straight out. And if you know your church and world history, you'll know what Jesus said was happening. See, God's good to his word, church. I don't know if I said that to you or not, but God's good to his word. So there's a lot of stuff that happens. And then... Jesus finishes that off when he comes back to the original question. When will the end be? Here you go. Jesus says this. And then at last. Probably should listen to this church. Because he is answering their question. He's telling them about some events. He's telling them what was going to take place. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens and there will be a deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. This is going to be a global event. Not something done in secret. Jesus said it's going to happen and everyone's going to see it in the heavens and there will be a deep mourning on the planet. Humanity will be in awe and fear and struck. This Jesus is real. And they will see. This is Jesus saying. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Man, it's not some secret thing. People aren't going to be like, hey, what happened to Joe? I don't know. He was there and he disappeared. It's going to be like this, church. There's Jesus. Oh, no. That's his word. 
Because the world's going to be struck in awe. Like, there He is! We've heard about Him! Remember, the kingdom of heaven will be preached to the whole world. They're going to know who they're looking at when He shows Himself. The whole world's going to know. That's Jesus. How are they going to know? Because the church is to be teaching people that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. The one and only. That's our call. That the world would know Him. Everyone will see Him coming. Exactly like the angels said when we read it last week in Acts chapter 1. Remember, this is Jesus talking before His death. He's prophesying, letting them know stuff. Then we read on the day of His ascension in Acts 11. You remember? The disciples watch Him disappear in the heavens and they're standing there looking up and the angels are like, what are you looking at? Why are you staring up there? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday, probably should underline that word, but someday He will return from heaven in the same way you saw Him go. So there's going to be a physical appearance of Jesus. It's going to be real. Jesus said it's going to be a global moment. The whole world's going to know when I show up. Okay. So we're looking for clarity about the end times, right? So we're looking and we're seeing like most of what we've been listening to has been taking place since that moment of Pentecost through here, 2020. Jesus goes on. And we're going to just see a little bit more clarity of what he tells us here in verse 36. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. Should be the end of the story right there, right? Church, shouldn't it be like the end of us self-attempting to fulfill the end? Shouldn't we stop with all this nonsense and understand that nobody knows? Nobody knows. He says there's signs. We know those signs have happened. We know God's good to his word. We know Jesus is coming. When he comes, everybody's going to know it. Okay. So, y'all... I don't know how old some of you are, and I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to tell you something. I was a, I was a brand new pastor in 1987, my very first church and my first lead pastor role. I was just a kid, in case you're wondering. Um, but 1987, right? And I was working bivocationally, and I'm working at this company called Flint Inc. Uh, it was an ink manufacturing company, and um, they brought out this booklet, "88 Reasons Why Christ Will Return in '88." Any of y'all remember that book? I don't know if that was only in Michigan. Okay, I see at least one hand. 88 Reasons Christ Will Return in 88. Right? And it went through the church. It was people at my work in the secular world. They were asking me questions about They knew I was a pastor and stuff, and they figured I had all the answers. And so they're like, what? Hey, have you read that? What do you think about this? And I said, you know, I believe he'd probably show up on January 1, 1989. Pretty much guarantees not coming in 88. <laughs> I mean, read the Word of God. No one knows. So Jesus didn't show up. December 31st came and went. January 1st, 1989 showed up. And so there was a rewrite of a second version, 89 reasons. 
For real, I'm not joking. You can look it up. So these self-proclaimed prophets wrote another booklet, 89 Reasons, it's an 89. I was like, well, I got another year, I'm sure of that. I know he's not coming back this year either. People are stupid, man. There's no way. Jesus said, no one knows. He didn't even know. The angels don't. Only the Father knows. Knock it off. What is he telling the disciples? We want to know the end. No one knows. Like how many times do I got to tell you? You got a job to do. Jesus goes on. Only the Father knows. Verse 37. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Life as usual. See, people didn't even realize it was a normal day in a normal life with all the normal activities of life happening when all of a sudden everything changed. He said nobody knew. He said, I want, you to, I want you to get this in your head. You need to understand. That's why I knew he wasn't coming in 88 or 89. Because <laughs> everybody was like, is he? is he? I'm looking, what, what, what's going on? No, he said it's going to be a day like any other. Church, I'm not trying to get you falsely secure. I'm trying to get us to see what the purpose of the church is, what my life matters for and what your life matters for and what this is all about. When we look at Jesus' teaching, He's trying to get His people to focus on the right things and understand stuff. Man, life is going to be normal as usual, just going on. Here's the rapture verses that y'all heard, remember? Follows this right up. It, this, that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working in the field, one will be taking the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill, one will be taking the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. You don't know. Who's he talking to? His followers. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. It's going to happen like that on a normal day. And church, that rapture we've heard about, which I know there's some type of rapture, he just says they're going to just be gone in a moment. However, Jesus said in that moment, everybody's going to know, right? Because he already told us, I'm going to show up and the whole world is going to groan and mourn. There he is. So it's going to be like, what happened? Oh, no, it's Jesus. That's what it's going to happen like. He's going to be gone, but he's going to be right there. And they're going to know. Everyone's going to know. Jesus is teaching us something. This is what's happening. All right. So, I don't want to get distracted. Let's stay in God's Word. Jesus continues to talk to us about these things. I'm reading in verse 45. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. What has God given us the responsibility to do? Advance the kingdom of God. Share the good news of the gospel. Be the church. Be the body of Christ. Be the light and the witness in this world. Be the answer to the hopelessness that the world has because we found the answer, right? Okay, so he's telling us, I've left you in charge. I've left you to do these things for me. So he's teaching in a, in a story to show us what's happening here. 
A faithful, sensible servant is the one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that servant has done a good job, there'll be a reward. We're talking about the end, remember? I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while, begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected. And he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. And that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, what we're doing and how we're living matters. And the purpose of our life matters critically. This is about us living for Jesus and sharing the good news of the kingdom. Jesus is telling us that our life and living for him is the very thing that will determine our eternal placement. So don't misunderstand me. I didn't say you have to work for your salvation. That's not what he said either. He said he's left us in charge of something. What was that? Sharing the good news of the kingdom. And he said, for those who are sharing the good news of the kingdom, doing the ministry of the church, following my example, it's going to be a good thing for you. But if you stop doing what I told you to do, and you start living for self, drunkenness, you serve me, all the things that go with that, see, we're no longer serving Christ. He said, it's not going to go good for you. So we are to be living and doing His will as believers, right? So we're almost done, so just hear this statement. Like, if there's any statement that I wish I could just speak out to the entire global church of Jesus Christ today, it's this one. Christians need to stop reading the current events of the world as a prophetic narrative and start living the Christian life and sharing the good news that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. Man, if we would just share Jesus as much as we share everything else, it would be amazing. I, you know, I study things and I'm I'm a student and I'm learning all the time. But I want you to know the church of Jesus Christ is terrible at sharing their faith. Every survey that's done, it's like in the 90 percentile. And there's been a lot of surveys done of church people, of people sharing their faith about Jesus. And it is always in the 90th percentile in some capacity in all those surveys of people that never share their faith. See, the whole purpose that we have here It's to live a life that glorifies God and to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the world. And the church is silent. What I see in the church, I'm not talking about CFF personally. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ globally and nationally in the United States. I see us mirroring society more and more and less mirroring Jesus. (laughs) We're in the same arguments. We're reacting in the same fear we're talking about the same stuff we're conflicting with one another in the same ways the world is and the whole while we're supposed to be the light of the world we're supposed to be jesus on earth we're supposed to be sharing the good news of the kingdom think about it okay so here's paul's final words to the church in thessalonica i want to read them to you because what he does is he's kind of bringing the church to its attention about what it's supposed to do. I'm going to skip a first couple of verses and, and I'm going to read to you in verse number 14. I have other ones up there, but let's just start in verse 14 of chapter 5. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. 
Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do you know how many Christians were whining and complaining about the events that have been going on? Be joyful in all circumstances. Amen. Amen. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. Don't miss that part. Prophecies are incredibly important, but they need to be incredibly accurate. But test everything that is said. I'm encouraging you. I beg you, anything that I preach to you, I want you to go back to God's Word. Know what God's Word says. Do not take my word for anything. Your soul is dependent upon it. You can't trust me. Know God's Word. I want you to trust me. You understand? But you need to know because you're going to be judged by His Word. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. That's God's will. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now, may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for He who calls you is faithful. God is awesome, isn't He? Man, we're giving a word. He's like, hey, stay true, stay strong. Just get those people that are lazy. Kick them in the butt. Get them moving. If someone's timid, encourage them to share. Lift them up and encourage the weak. Be the church. Be joyful. Let people see that you have a hope that is found in Jesus Christ because God is good to His Word. He's going to make everything happen that He said would happen. He's faithful. So the the disciples, Jesus is teaching them. You know, He's walking on the earth with them prior to Pentecost, right? He's with them. And it seems like they're always distracted every time He's talking about something serious about who who they're going to be, what's going to happen, how things are going to unfold, all that stuff. You already know that, right? And they're distracted about future events. The disciples were always looking at what it's going to be like tomorrow. I mean, if that's not the message of Christ followers, I don't know what is. Always wondering about what's going to be tomorrow. So my last little story thing before we get to action steps is this. Um, Have you ever gone to the store just to get milk? So I go to Safeway uh, by my house, and it's always in the far right corner. And I enter the front left store door. I don't know why. It's just a habit. I, like you guys, I park same spot, walk in the same door. It's on the opposite side of the store. So I grab the cart, and I walk in, and I'm like, oh, we need that. Oh, we need that. By the time I get around to the checkout, I got a full cart. I went there for milk, right? Drive home, bring everything in, and Kim's like, where's the milk? I'm like, uh... No milk. The whole reason I went was milk. I got everything but. Okay. So I'm using that illustration to tell you, you see, this is what the enemy wants believers to do. He wants to get us distracted by every little thing we see so that we're not doing exactly what Jesus has already told us to do. 
See, we should be one-focused, kingdom-focused. We should be concentrating on living our life of faith and sharing that life of faith with others. That's the purpose, the call for every believer. Every believer. That's God's call for us. And we walk out the doors of church and we're distracted by this and that. And we see this and that. And we never get to the milk. Church, we can't do that. These are incredible times. What the enemy meant for evil, God is turning it to good. This is a moment in history that we and the church have a chance to represent Jesus in a profound and powerful way. People are looking for hope. The enemy's going to try and give them one. There's many false prophets. There's a lot of people who are going to tell them stuff that they want to hear to offer them false hope. There is only one hope. It's Jesus Christ. It is our privilege to share the kingdom of God with people that don't know Him. Don't get distracted. No matter what this looks like or what this might be. So I'm... I'm at my action steps, okay? The number one thing we need to share is Jesus. So I'm just, I'm wondering if I should share this with you. So I'm processing something I don't want to just say out of something out of turn, but it's the craziest thing, man. This is, I preached this message at 9.15. You know that. And here we are at 11. I mean, it's the 11 o'clock service. At the end of the service, as I always do, I'm greeting people. Someone that sat in that service came up to me right here and said, did you see that video about the implanting of the chips that's going on while the church was sleeping over in Europe and all that? I was like dumbfounded. I I was like blown away that we were having this conversation right here, right? So I know a lot of you have watched that video. I'm not going to talk about the video. I'm talking about the person and the event in the moment. First off, yep, I saw it. I did. And the person said, this happened while the church was sleeping. I said, I don't know if you were sleeping, but the church wasn't, nor was I. God was actively working throughout that time of quarantine like I've never seen in my life. I've had the privilege as God's servant, as a pastor, to see God move in ways that I'd never seen in my life prior to that moment. I want you to know that from my heart. I wasn't sleeping. God wasn't sleeping. The church wasn't sleeping. Were there people who checked out? Absolutely. For sure. There will be people that never come back to church at the end of this, right? That's a reality. I'm aware of it. Jesus said that. And I'm like, seriously, you've got to be kidding me right now. You're asking me about this chip? Guess what? There's going to be a day where someone's asked to put a mark on you. Yep, it's in Revelation. What about it? What about it? Seriously, church, what about it? If they make that national, like, requirements today, look, we already know it's here. But I'm not worried at all. I don't even know if I even believe any of that. I'm talking about the Internet. I believe Jesus. Which is why I don't watch that junk. Because you see, it's a distraction. It's like there's a little box of strawberries. Well, those look good. I think I'm going to get them. I'm eating them later. Probably put milk on them. (laughs) Right? (laughs) 
cereal needs milk. Load up the cart and don't take it home. It's like, come on. What are we doing? When is the last time you told anybody they needed Jesus in their life? Yes, I'm irritated. I want you to know I am. I'm irritated at us as a church that we can be so easily distracted from the one main thing we're supposed to be doing. It's crazy. It's about Him. All right, I'm not going to lecture you. Have you received Him as your Savior? Maybe I already did, but I'm not trying to. Church, what I want us to see is God's Word. Don't get distracted. I guarantee you, you're going to be distracted. There's going to be things that try and get you off track today, tomorrow, and this week. There's going to be more self-proclaimed prophets speaking words. Jesus said, many false prophets will come and many will follow them. Know the truth. He's the answer. Do you know Jesus? Because He's your hope. If you don't know Him, you need to know Him today. If you're online and you're watching and you need help, please contact us at the office and we will help you in any way we can. We want you to know Jesus. Church, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, how can you live this week more like Jesus than you ever have before. This week. See, that's where our focus should be. God has called us to live a life of Christianity that is a light and a representative of who he is in this world. I want to know how you can live more like Jesus this week. Just one thing. The last action step is this. Who does God want you to share the good news with? I know there's somebody in your life that he wants you to share the good news with. No doubt about it. They are in your life. They're empty. They're lost. They're confused. They're hopeless. I see fear in their eyes. I see people everywhere, and I'm like amazed. It's like, oh, Lord, help them. They're, they're driven with fear. The fear is growing in our culture. It's not shrinking. It's growing. They're looking for hope. God is going to put someone in your path. The Spirit of God will jump you. The Holy Spirit, right there, it's going to be like, Speak. I want to encourage you if you're timid with your faith. I'm encouraging you like Paul said to the church. Just say it. Let it spill out of your mouth. The Spirit of God will give you the words in the moment. Just share what you know, not what you don't know. Don't even try. Share what you know. It's Jesus. You know Him. Let them know about Him. Stand together. The altar is open if you want to pray. I love you. God bless you. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us clarity. May we own your clarity and own you and share you with the world. Thank you for this opportunity to gather as the church. We love you in Christ's name. Amen. Church, God bless you. We have a gift for those of you that are guests today. And you can go out those doors right there. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Lord.